Welcome to episode 63 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Psycharmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychromer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Ken Davenport, the co-founder and CEO of Mission Edge, a social enterprise providing consulting and strategy services to nonprofits and social impact organizations. Prior to starting Mission Edge, Ken started and ran a number of successful companies in the healthcare and data analytics field. Ken is passionate about veteran entrepreneurship and teaches at the Boots to Business course for the Institute of Veterans and Military Families at Syracuse University and has been an instructor for the Veteran Transition Program with Four Block. You can find out more about Ken by checking out his bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So Ken, you seem to be a serial entrepreneur and experienced executive, specifically founding several companies at the intersection of technology, healthcare, and data analytics. However, in addition to a wide range of other interests, we'll get to that in a minute, you also spend your time supporting service members, veterans, and their families. How did you go from startups to supporting the military-affiliated population. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. You know, it's kind of an interesting story that 10 years on now, I can reflect back, and it looks like it has a definite pattern to it, but I, I don't think I had it all planned out at the time that I had started. Really, I, I had left the last company that I started in uh, 2010 and had a little bit of a, I like to call kind of the, the obituary moment, where I, I thought about, I was actually reading an obituary in the Wall Street Journal of a very accomplished World War II veteran and was thinking about what a life that guy lived. And I thought to myself, what's my obituary going to say when I die? And am I going to be proud of kind of the legacy that I left? And at that time, I'd been in the business world for 20 some odd years and I'd, I'd done well, but I hadn't really left a mark that I could feel proud about. And so I quit my company and started volunteering. And one of the volunteer opportunities I had was with the Armed Services YMCA at Camp Pendleton. And I became friendly with one of the board members and was just giving the board some help on fundraising and just stuff that I had done in the private sector. And I fell in love with the Marines on the base. And I fell in love with the struggles that a lot of these young Marine families particularly were having at the time. This is 2010, 2011. And I just said that, look, I got, this is what I have to do now, at least for part of my, the next uh, 20 years, I've got to give back to this community, which has served us so well and, and where the burden has been so heavy. And I just started doing what I could. And then I started realizing that, hey, my business career has a lot of interesting nuggets of data for transitioning veterans that could be useful. And I had a pretty big network and I was able to make introductions for people. And I just started 
but kind of meeting with folks one-on-one wherever I could. And I joined the board of the Travis Manning Foundation when they came to San Diego and was doing transition work with them. And so, I don't know, it just grew into a passion project of mine. And I think it's been useful for veterans to have a little bit of a civilian perspective on the transition process because I think they hear a lot from other veterans who preceded them into the civilian world. But as someone who's hired a lot of people and who has a lot of corporate contacts and really understands a little bit about how corporations think, I I feel like I had some value to add there. And so that's kind of how all that got started. I think there's a, a huge benefit also in the fact that you've gone out of your way to learn military and veteran culture, right? You're not trying to change Marines into corporate business persons right away. Is You've taken the time to understand that it puts me in mind of, of after I finished my clinical degree, I stayed at the school and I, I was talking to the, the dean of the MBA program that I was starting and I explained to her that I was in the army for 22 years. And she told me, oh, you're going to learn so much about leadership in this program. yeah and she was like it's totally nothing like military but she didn't have any she didn't know what military leaders we joke about it now but it was this misunderstanding from her point of view that military leadership was all about barking orders and things like that but you've really seen that from the corporate culture but also taking the time to understand military culture and how those two things overlap Yeah, and I think one of the primary kind of lessons that I try to leave with the veterans that I mentor in this area is culture is more important than anything else when you transition. And it's more important than position. It's more important than title. It's more important than money. Because if you get to a culture that values your service and really understands what you have to offer, you're going to climb that corporate ladder inside that organization. And You don't have to start at the top. You can start even in the mid-levels and you will have a very fine career and a career that you really enjoy because you'll be working in a place that values who you are and really respects your service and doesn't see it as some different world that has no connection to the work that the company is doing. And so the best companies that that I've connected veterans to are ones who really get, hey, I, I can teach people technology. A good story is I connected a Marine Infantry officer, a friend of mine with Cox Communications here locally. And he looked at me like I had three eyes when I brought it up to him because he was in the defense industry, wanted to move to the commercial side. And he said, I don't cable. I don't know anything about cable. Who do, who wants cable? Like everyone's trying to cut their cable. <laughs> what are you talking about? And I said, look, just meet this guy. This guy is the VP of field ops. He's a former Marine. He's looking for people who know how to lead people, build teams. And you know how to do that. You don't know anything about cable, but I think he's looking for people who can lead others. And sure enough, he's gotten three promotions since he joined and happy as a clam. But I I just knew that the best companies are looking for leaders and, and the military is full of really good leaders. And I think that's the benefit of, as you mentioned, coming from the corporate sector, approaching this military transition space, employment, but obviously more than employment, it's supporting military service members as they're transitioning. You're stepping out of that civilian side of the divide and you're stepping out into the middle of no man's land. And you're trying to say to veterans, hey, it's not scary over here. You do have a lot more to offer. You're almost like like a, a, a navigator, a translator, again, taking time to understand those who served, but you know the business community really, really well. And I think that's a, a really important aspect that a lot of transition programs are missing is people from the business community stepping into that. Yeah. And I think that for me, I, I approached it with a lot of humility and just, I wanted to learn about who these people are and what they really want and what kind of makes them tick. And, and then trying to figure out how to connect them with 
something that is not just a job, but is a new career for them and something that they can really sink their teeth into. And I think that for me, you know, I, I, I came at this, I think, later in life, but I, I have a lot of envy of the fact that when you're in the military, you have a purpose bigger than yourself. And that is something that civilians, I think, need more of, but we it's very hard to find. And so I have a lot of envy or a lot of respect for the fact that there's a, a great value in putting on the uniform and, and being a part of something where you're not thinking about yourself every day. And I think the best transitions are ones that match that sense of I'm leaving the service, I'm taking out the uniform, but I'm going to a company where there's a purpose here. And I can do something that, that is meaningful on a day-to-day basis and not just sit in a cube and write code or, or talk on the phone. And some people may be into that, but I think most of the veterans I've talked to really want to do something with some purpose in their next career. One of the challenges with the military is, you're right, everything is contained. Both the thing that you're doing, the job that pays the bills, is also something that's very meaningful and satisfying. But no matter how long we're in, whether it's two years or 20 years, you still have to leave at some point. Like the, that has to end. And and if we were, for example, working in the social sector, you would be able to do that for a 30, 40 year career or, or so on until you retire. And so I think that's one thing for a lot of veterans is I like how you say that the culture is important. This meaning and purpose is important. When we get out, we're told your position is important. Your paycheck is like the, the tangible yeah. or the, the transactional pieces are the most important, yeah. but that's counterintuitive to how people serve. Yeah, I, I honestly, in the hundred and some odd veterans that I've personally worked with and seen in the transition, I think the ones that took the money or, or took the big job, they never ended up. Very few of them are still in those positions. They they just didn't feel like it, you know, the money, it was worth the sacrifice they had to make in terms of the quality of their job or the respect they were getting inside or any of those kind of things that, that give you purpose on a day-to-day basis. And so it's a little bit of cliche, but I think if you follow your, your passion and and a little bit of your heart, you'll find the right path. And it may not be the first job. It probably isn't the first job right out of the military. You're going to have some trial and error in the same way that anybody, any civilian going in the military is going to have a lot of trial and error. I mean, it's a different animal in some ways. So I do think that the most successful transitions are the ones where you're looking for the, the best fit for you holistically. It's not just about uh, job title or salary. It's about the company. It's about your boss. It's about the leadership. It's about their values. And those are the things that really, I think, matter the most. And, and I get the sense from what I know of your work, it's also about a wide range of interests. You talked a little bit, obviously, as you come in and, and your success in the corporate sector, but you're also a published author, um, which is, you know, it, I'm sure people say, well, how do you have time to do all this stuff? But as a writer myself, I'm always interested in talking to authors about their work. And there are a number of veterans and military family members who feel like they have stories inside of them. If your work in the social and military support space isn't enough, I'd like to hear more about the two books that you've published. Yeah, I've always been a writer at some level. I've written a lot professionally, but I always wanted to try my hand at, at writing novels. And I had a, a story inside of me for years that I had been thinking about that was an alternative history of the 1960s and Vietnam and John F. Kennedy that I had done some work on when I was in graduate school on the Vietnam War. And I had this 
kernel of an idea about a, a book that, you know, what if Kennedy had lived and what would that have done to the war in Vietnam? And I wrote 80 pages of it about 15 years ago and lost track, lost my, my steam and put it aside. And another friend of mine who had just gotten his first book published, I went up and met with him and he said, you should pull that out and just finish it. Just finish it. You don't even have to do anything with it, but don't leave it half written or a quarter written. Just go back to it and see what you can do with it. So I did. And I ended up finishing it. And then I wrote a second book that was completely different genre, a techno thriller based on a friend of mine's brother who works for the Department of Homeland Security as a, a bug hunter, really, at Chicago O'Hare Airport. And he, he looks for bugs in cargo that come in from the from a, abroad that are a threat to our crops and stuff. And I just got this idea of doing kind of a science fiction spin on that. It's set in the future. They don't really follow any pattern. It's just stuff that I've been interested in and, and I really enjoyed it. And I've been halfway through a sequel to one of the books for a little bit longer than I'd like to admit. And I don't know if that is ever going to get finished or not, but I've got, I still have some more writing in me, I think, to go. And have you ever talked to some veterans who may be interested in publishing and not just memoirs? It's, I don't want to say it's easy to write our own stories, but really fiction offs. I got a, a very good friend who has just picked up a, a publishing deal for a fiction book that she wrote. And so have you supported veterans and they're trying to, they're thinking that's something they want to try to do in their post-military life is access that creative side? Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about the process. You know, I ended up self-publishing through Amazon, which I think is a powerful tool for people. The publishing industry is increasingly narrow, and I don't know that there are tremendous value in being assigned to a publishing house versus self-publishing at this point, but most of the publishing houses don't put a lot of money into marketing anymore. So you're, you're marketing your own work anyway, no matter who's publishing it. But I decided to do self-publishing, and I've talked to a number of veterans who were working on transition book, but also a novel, and just gave them as much information as I could about some of the tips that I would give them around how to self-publish in a way where you can't really tell the difference between the self-published book and the professionally published book. And you can do that if you invest in the right places. You have a great editor, you have a great book designer, book cover designer, and you do it in a way that really looks not like a homegrown project, but looks like something that any one of the major publishing houses would put out. And, and with this in technology in this day and age, you can certainly do that. No, I absolutely agree. I I, act, man, I I probably have three or four books. I've got some of those trunk books, we call them, that are sitting in the, the trunk yeah. there. But I've self-published uh, collections myself, but I have gone through and worked with the publishing house and, and it was a little more difficult. I and mean, ultimately it got to the point they said, we love what you're writing and we love what you're doing, but nobody knows about you. So we're not going to, we're not going to move forward. Um, yeah. So a friend of mine told me who's a published author, who's been, who's done the self-publishing route and traditionally published route, basically said the number of authors that actually make a good living on writing is very small. And it's, it's all the names that you would know, which tells you just how small it really is. And then there's a, there are a lot of writers who squeak by, but they're always struggling to get their next sort of novel out and try to get that, hit that home run. And then everybody else is not making really any money. So it really can't be about the money. It's more about, do you have something to say that, that you want to get out there? And it will find its own audience, but you have to push it. You know, if you want it to sell, you have to market it yourself. You have to use social media, but those are things you would have to do with a traditional publisher anyway. So I, and the, the beauty of the self-publishing route is it gives you a hundred percent control over the rights to it and the royalties are higher. And it's just, I think it's a great democratization of the creative process. It takes control away from New York 
book publishing houses about telling you what what should get published and what shouldn't. And I think in this day and age, my attitude is, what do you guys know? Let the market decide. Let people put their stuff out there. Let's see what happens. And I, and I think that idea, and we talk about, we have stories inside of us. Everybody has a, a story inside of them. Another thing, and one of the primary roles that you're in now is co-founder and CEO of Mission Edge, which is an organization that supports nonprofits and social enterprise organizations. You provide the kind of infrastructure that, frankly, many nonprofits aren't all that good at and allow them to focus on what they are good at, which is their particular mission. Correct. So this was born out of my volunteer work also, actually. 2012, we started Mission Edge as a nonprofit to help other nonprofits. The premise was that a lot of organizations that were doing great work in the community, including in the veteran space, with the back office support operations, getting decent financial reports, hiring and firing people the right way, having benefits, and just doing a lot of the nuts and bolts business stuff that I think as a business guy, you take for granted, like, well, everyone does that. But, you know, nonprofits are undercapitalized operationally, and so they tend to scrimp there. And so we came up with a basically a consulting model that said, if I can outsource a good accountants and CFOs to nonprofits and I can spread them out over multiple organizations, if I can hire really good people and, that, and I can price it at a cost that nonprofits can afford. That's how we got started. And since then, we've been doing a lot of work around teaching nonprofits earned revenue strategies, trying to get them off the dependency on grants and donations, which is a very difficult way to run an organization. One of our clients is Psych Armor, as a matter of fact, which has been very active in this space, obviously, in this podcast. And we've been working with them on a variety of different fronts to try to create a sustainable business model for the organization. And one of the big assumptions around that is that you don't have to be a nonprofit or act like a nonprofit to do good work in the social sector. And it's really, there are many different ways of having social impact and you can be a very good, solid, thriving business and still have a really good social impact. So it's not just for nonprofits anymore. And I think that's a message we're promoting a lot because I think that in order for us to solve a lot of these larger problems, you need the power of the market and you need uh, sustainable, scalable business models in order to solve these problems. If you leave it up to government, the, the nonprofit sector, we're never going to get scale any of these things. No, I absolutely agree. I've always felt uh, having worked in nonprofits for uh, a number of years, started out at post-military. My first job was in a nonprofit. Then I went to clinical work and found myself back in the nonprofit space. Like you said, because there's a lot of good social work and social will that needs to be done there. But I, I like the idea of taking business practices. Like you said, a business, especially a startup, will outsource their marketing. They will outsource their finances. They'll outsource their accounting. And that's typical business practice. But nonprofits try to do everything in-house on a shoestring budget, and it's and, and people aren't trained that way. But then you also take that idea of, of social support and social efforts and improving social capital and bringing that to the business community and creating social enterprises. They're not nonprofits, but they still create positive social impact in the community. Yeah. And I talk to veterans a lot about this, actually. I, veterans come wanting to have a social impact, wanting to start a nonprofit often. Sometimes it's a business with a social purpose. And this is a very often where the conversation kind of goes. And I think that this is really the future. One of the good things that's happening is there's a generational shift going on. Young folks, millennials, and even those who are younger are not thinking about starting nonprofits. And the nonprofit concept is something that I will always 
be with us, but I think the energy in the social innovation space is around social enterprise. A lot of the young people that are coming out of universities who are starting these organizations are thinking about building businesses. They're not thinking about building a nonprofit and then going begging for dollars. That's just not the way their minds work. And thank goodness for that, because I, I do think that this is the only way we're going to make real progress is to unleash the market in some way that can help to drive these organizations forward and really solve some of the problems that we're looking at. And I think the veteran space is a good example. There are a number of veteran nonprofits that are working on earned revenue models and have business lines that are not just grants and donations anymore. And I think it's really, I think it's really helping them to scale. Now, I think we're at a critical point in time, having just ended the global war on terror. Obviously, as we record this, we're we're facing other different global threats with what's happening in Ukraine, of course. But you have an entire generation of veterans who have the potential to be this century's greatest generation with the size and really the reach, but then also a new way of doing things. And I really appreciate that Mission Edge and you obviously are really involved in having those conversations. So if people wanted to find out more about the work that you're doing, Mission Edge, or, or some of your other projects? How can they do that? So uh, missionedge.org is our website, and um, you can check it out. You can contact me through it. My, my email is ken at missionedge.org. My, my books are on Amazon if you look them up, if you're interested. And uh, we're always looking for support, whatever type, even just having a conversation about ideas. If there are veterans who are listening to this who are interested in starting a business, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about your entrepreneurial aspirations, and I'll be more than happy to help connect you where I can. And uh, that's a passion of mine. And uh, there are a lot of very good budding veteran entrepreneurs out there. I've, I've just had a phone call today with a new veteran venture fund that has started up in the Bay Area to fund veteran startups at the nexus of AI and cybersecurity. So there's a whole world, entrepreneurial world out there that you guys can really get into. And if I can help do that, I'm more than happy to. Oh, that's great. I'm going to make sure that all of those, as well as your contact information is in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot, Dwayne. It's great, great talking to you. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. I really appreciated connecting with Ken to talk to him about his support for service members as they transition out of the military. Transition is a challenging thing. I know it because I've done it, like many of those listening, and Ken knows it because he's been helping those that are doing it. Career changes can be difficult, but culture changes, identity changes, while you're also changing careers, makes it even more difficult. I appreciate how Ken identified that finding an organization with the right culture, one that appreciates, but more importantly, understands the value that service members, veterans, and their families bring. As he said, tasks can be taught, the technical things that need to be done to accomplish the job. But it's much harder to teach things like team development, strategic planning, or logistics management. I was assigned to 12 different company-sized elements in my 22-year military career, and I would imagine that I had an average of two jobs per company. That's a wide range of technical skills that I picked up, everywhere from operating heavy vehicles to Microsoft Office proficiency to weapons handling to communication systems. Throughout those different jobs, I learned team development and management, strategic planning, critical thinking, resource allocation. 
the military is a learning organization. Veterans know how to learn stuff quickly and apply what is learned in a rapid fashion. They had to do it in the military, and that skill doesn't go away when the uniform comes off. So from Ken's point of view, if a veteran has the versatility to be an asset in any industry based on the intangible skills that were developed during the military, then there's no reason to settle for something based on pay, title, or position. Take a risk, even though it might not be much of one, and try something different. You never know what you might find. The other point that I would like to make is connected to this. One of the most important things to find is career satisfaction in post-military life, and a key to that satisfaction is finding meaning in the work that we do. I also appreciated how Ken shared that in non-military corporate culture, the meaningfulness of the work is not often a consideration. Of course, we can make meaning from any situation, no matter how mundane and routine. The person who is crunching code or running an assembly line can describe the importance of their work to themselves in a way that generates meaning. But according to Ken, job satisfaction with the meaningfulness of the work is not a key aspect of most non-military jobs. Whereas in the military, it's a baked-in part of the gig. Every service member is a small cog in a giant machine, but each cog is really, really important. Whether the veteran was a food inspector, weather forecaster, airframe mechanic, or supply clerk, their daily tasks made a significant impact on the mission of their unit and the military as a whole. We knew that because we saw it, and it can be hard to see that if you find yourself in an unknown industry with an unfamiliar culture that has unfathomable rules that no one seems to be able to define. And you don't have to find that satisfaction in your job necessarily. Again, look at Ken. As he is a successful entrepreneur and corporate executive, he has rich and meaningful volunteer experiences supporting those who served, and he still found a need and desire to express himself creatively through his writing. A veteran may find themselves in a mundane and potentially meaningless job, but finding satisfaction through art or writing or fitness or dancing or dog grooming or podcasting. I often tell people when I discuss the importance of meaning and purpose that I believe that I find even more satisfaction in my post-military life than I did when I was in the military, and I really enjoyed my military career. Some of that is my work, of course, some of that is my family, and some of that are the things that I spend my time doing that's not connected to work or family. So don't underestimate the importance of finding satisfaction in a post-military career. As I'm sure Ken would tell you, it's probably the most important thing to consider. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course, Volunteer Opportunities with Veterans. If you're like Ken and you find yourself interested in supporting those who served and those who care for them, this course will guide you through the process of identifying and securing opportunities to volunteer with veterans so you too can find ways to give back to those who served. You can find this course through a link in the show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast player of choice, as well as at psychomer.org forward slash podcast. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. 
Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.